Hi, I'm Michaela Lieberman. And I'm Jeff Bellin. And welcome to Office Hours. This is our podcast, the William & Mary Law School's uh, podcast, where we have a what you call a conversation, Michaela. I call it a conversation. Right? I, I'm, I'm a little distancing myself from that a little bit. Yeah, I'm endorsing see. this as a conversation. All right. A conversation with usually William & Mary faculty members about areas of their expertise that are in the news or of interest generally. That's right. The idea is that, you know, we all go home, we hear things in the headlines, and we think, what, what does that mean? And we're lucky enough here at the law school to have just hallways full of experts um, in the form of faculty members right. who know a lot about these topics. Yep, the way I think about it is we're kind of dragging these people out of their offices and they have a lot of valuable information that speaks to things that everyone's thinking about. And if we can just get them on the show, we can push them a little and find out what's really going on. That's right. And this week we pushed a, a, a very well-loved professor. Her name is Stacy Kernshear. Right. So uh, Stacey Kernshear is um, a health law scholar and expert and a former member of the Office of Legislative Counsel. Um, and so she's got a lot of inside information on health law, health policy, changes to that landscape that we asked her about this week. Right. A really unique perspective because she actually helped to draft the Affordable Care Act. That's and right. Disappointingly, she won't. You'll see. She won't give us too many secrets. Yeah, I wanted this to be something of a congressional tell-all, right? And it was less of that, but still very substantive. Right. She she knows a ton about how this works and and what's going on, and so all these things that you'll read about in the news, she actually knows what's really going on. So, uh, I thought it was fascinating. I did too. And we hope you do. Yeah. Yeah. So without further ado, this is our conversation with Stacy Kernshear. Welcome, Professor Kernshier, to Office Hours. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're delighted <laughs> to have you. Right, Professor Bellin? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see. Okay. He, he looks right. skeptical about this commit. whole thing. Right. Yeah. You don't want to, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Well, I'm delighted to have you because I've had you now in three classes, actually four. Wait, yes. Including the directed reading. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I'm sure you feel that way. Yeah. yeah I'm a lot. Time flies. Time flies. But so I know that this is going to be a great conversation mm, okay. because anyone who's been in Professor Kernshear's class right. knows that she's a delight. Mm. And I'm not just saying that because she's looking right at me. I'm <laughs> saying that because that's right. the truth. So I want to introduce you to some of our listeners who may not have been as fortunate as I've been to have yeah. you in class. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like where are you from? You know, give us the details. Who's Stacy Kernshear? Okay. Uh, well, um, I'm from Kentucky. I grew up in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I adore it there. It's home, and I love to go back there all the time whenever I can. Um, I know a lot of people might not say that, but I do. I went to college in Wisconsin and just spent some time on the East Coast. I've just sort of traveled around. I landed here in Williamsburg in 2009 when my husband got a job in the chemistry department. Before we got here, though, I was I was working on um, Capitol Hill uh, for the U.S. Senate Office of the Legislative Council, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that maybe yep. a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I went to law school in Boston and I went to public health school because uh, I've always had an interest in health care and uh, health law ever since I was kind of a teenager. Uh, just kind of like personal situations with my family sort of got me like really thinking about the healthcare system from a very young age. Hmm. And uh, I went to college and, and I actually went... I, 
partially the reason why I chose the college I chose at Wisconsin is because they didn't have a robust dance program. And right. I'd always been a dancer and in high school. I went to performing arts high school, and so that was kind of a big part of my identity. But I wanted to sort of make myself get away from that. So uh, it was kind of weird. It's kind of a no, mean, mean thing to do to yourself now that I really reflect on it. No, but it seems very precocious, was, very wise. Yeah, very, very practical. And so uh, after you know, college, I was like, do I want to go to law school? Or do I want to go to public health school? Or do I want to go to social work school? So I ended up choosing to go to law school and public health school at the same time, which was a little bit of a wild situation at a few points in time. Um, but when you say wild, do you mean there was a lot of work? Or yes. there were parties? And no, <laughs> there were so, and there were so no parties. Okay. Um, no, it was a little wild in the sense, like, when, the summer that I was studying for the bar, I was also taking public health school classes. And so I would, like, study for the bar during the day and then go, like, read about, like, sewage treatment, oh like, at my. night. And it was this really just, just, like, what is happening? But I thought, I think it was actually, in retrospect, it was character building, so it was good. Okay. So when I graduated from public health school, which finished after law school, I went right into the office to the Legislative Council uh, to do healthcare drafting. Wow, so your first year at Ledge Council, is yes, that what they call Yes, that's the lingo, that's Ledge Council, Ledge very Council. good, <clears throat> nicely done. So at Ledge Council, your first year there was about when? Uh, 2004. And you were there until? Uh, 2013. 2013, so that yes. spans different it, presidencies. Yes. And it spans some different attitudes in sort of healthcare policy. Yes, yes, so when I started in the Senate, um, the Republicans were in the majority, and uh, George W. Bush was president. So I did see the Senate uh, flip a few times between who, who was in control and also, obviously, from the Bush administration to the Obama administration, um, which you know has less impact in some ways than who controls the Senate, but uh, definitely saw some things swing back and forth. I see. And so at the time when you first got there, what were sort of the big health care fights about? Gosh. Um, so when I, you know, I was just trying to figure out what was happening. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was just like, what, 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 what is happening right now? Like, you know, I don't want to be the reason why the republic falls. You know, I was like right. so nervous all the time that I was gonna like, you know, bring down the government with a poorly <laughs> drafted piece of legislation. Little did I know. Um, but anyway, um, so I, uh, I'm trying to remember. So I was assigned first and foremost on food and drug and public health types of issues. So as a, as a really new um, attorney. At that time, I, there was actually a big push to something I worked on a lot at that time was importation of prescription drugs oh. um, from other countries. And so that was something that I was kind of took a lot of my time in the beginning. Um, public health wise, also, there was interest in and a lot of discussion about um, bioterrorism. So there were some of those issues also percolating. So there was, I think that 9 11 was still so, so fresh at that time that a lot of the big issues were um, national security related. But you ultimately got involved in some of the hot button topics, yes. maybe later in your career, yes. Yes, and I did. more under the Obama administration. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, was was there some health care legislation during the Obama administration? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think if there was. I, I feel like I've heard of some. I think that there might have been something. I feel like I lost a couple years of my life, um, and I, there's like a black hole there around 2009, 2010. Um, yeah, so uh, the ACA did happen during that time, uh, obviously, and... It, it, I, I think that, you know, that's something, that's a process that, you know, started, and even before, you know, Obama got elected, uh, when there was, you know, at that time in the, the Health Education Labor Pensions Committee, which was the committee that I worked mostly with, um, just because of the subject matter, uh, Senator Kennedy was still either the, uh, either the chair or the ranking member, um, and Senator Enzi of Wyoming was the chair or the ranking member, kind of depending on who was in charge. And so there were there were there were senators like at the at the helm of that committee that you know we we all knew that there was going to be some 
you know, conversation about health reform. And, and I think that there was, that was always, especially w with Senator Kennedy, that was obviously a big part of his um, platform, if you will, as a senator right. for the m many years he was there. So even, even within the Senate itself or within Congress, there was conversations of health reform. And then, you know, obviously with Obama's election, that just became uh, more um, immediate. Huh. And, and you were involved in drafting what you're calling the ACA, but people know as either the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, or Kern Shearer Care. Yeah. <laughs> Shearer Care. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Well, you know, and I've told I've I've told Michaela this before. Like, you know, it cracks me up because at the very beginning, when we, when when the ACA passed, actually we referred to it as PIPACA because it's actually the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, mm. and so that didn't catch on. You as know, well. it did not catch on, and and so it has. And, and I resisted it for a while. I was like, like ACA, it's PIPACA because that's the act. And now, you know what? I've just fully embraced ACA because it does roll off the tongue so much better than pipaca. Yeah. 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 It's Fair. kind of like we know this kind of a debate. Uh, Professor Bellin wanted to name this podcast William and Mary's Excellent Legal Podcast. Yes. Um, very, very, very. Yeah, I had similar issues. I, with I'm in your demographic. I know what that's okay. referring yeah. to. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still smarting that it, it didn't get the it reception <laughs> I thought when it, I floated it that It got name. a very cool reception, mostly because it's an attenuated reference to Bill and Ted's Excellent yeah. Adventure. Right. But nowhere in that title do you see the word adventure or Bill. Really yeah. the only. William. The yeah. only, well, I, fair enough. William. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Well, so anyway, that's sort of the papaka of our, <laughs> our experience. So we know. Yeah. We know. ACA. All yeah. right. So, yeah, so here we are. So here we are. Here we are. We're in the ACA. And tell us a little bit about, like, what that process was like. And you don't have to get into the whole, I mean, it's hard to reduce. Yes. But that's sort of is. what we're about. We're about reductive conversations here. So, <laughs> yeah. so if you don't mind, just, like, what was your experience? Were you stressed? Were you working until two in the morning every yeah. day? Yeah. That, it was, it was a stressful time. Um, so my, role was, you know, to draft the legislation or turn, you know, sort of policy ideas into legislative language. And, and that was not, and I did not just work for the majority, you know, I worked for both parties. And so, uh, you know, I, I often explain that, it, you know, you're drafting, like, you know, you're drafting for multiple members of one party, say you're drafting for multiple members of, you know, the Democratic Party, they want, you know, to kind of their long game is I want my proposal to sort of make it in the final version. So there's going to be a lot of like Democrats who want, you know, pieces of legislation drafted with the end game of like, hopefully this will get rolled into what is ultimately the package. And then you have, you know, in that time, like the Republicans um, in the minority saying, well, we have our own ideas and we are actually, you know, trying to kind of gird for what we think the proposals are going to be and, and proffer our own ideas as to as to how this should go and so one thing that one thing to understand it's like it's not like there's not just like one train like you know going down the track there's right. like a million trains going at the same time and they're sometimes they're hostile with each other sometimes they're not sometimes they're very friendly with each other but they're just exchanging ideas kind of through legislative vehicles so there's a lot happening um because you have the entire political process kind of cranking its wheels, like as you have people that are trying to put forth substantive policy proposals, and and you kind of you know from where I was sitting, you you kind of you have to be aware you know of of all this kind of happening at once in terms of like prioritizing and um, understanding kind of where where it looks like the process might be headed. Mm. So there's a lot in the air at once, um, and obviously the most immediate issue is like I need to I need to move this paper like I need to do this job like right now. So if somebody comes in and says I want an amendment to do this like, and then I've got 400 other people waiting in the queue with their also their ideas, um, you you have to you have to move it along. Yeah. And you know some and so this was probably like a couple you know a couple years we had the uh, markup 
for um, or you know, the, the committee, the help committee considered their version um, of the uh, affordable, what would ultimately be the Affordable Care Act. Um, Papaka. Papaka, if you will. I was about to say that. Right. Um, right, yeah, I'm going back in time. <laughs> um, you know, in the summer of 2009, and there was a lot of work leading up to that, and that was a very, uh, you know, you have an amendment process there that is very stressful and fast-paced, and even though the markup lasted like a month, but that's another thing. And um, literally, and then you have, uh, you know, once a bill gets passed onto the floor, in that particular process, there's a lot of amendments happening in the, in, in the Senate. The ACA was on the floor for about a month, um, December of 2009. So it ended up ultimately passing the Senate on Christmas Eve of 2009. And so there was a lot of lead up to that. So there are certain times in the process where it is extremely, extremely stressful. busy, like yeah. extremely stressful, where you just have a lot of people jockeying for your time, like in a, in a very fast paced environment. And it's not like, oh, I want to talk to you for, for five minutes. It's like, actually, can you please write something that will wow. kind of change like federal law mm -hmm. in the next, and I need it in five minutes. Who so, is guiltiest of that behavior? Like, who's the biggest diva who would knock on your door and be like, I'm Barbara Mikulski, and oh, you will I, write this for me. There are secrets I will never tell, and that would be I wanted this to turn into disappointing. a Disappointing. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Try again. Try again. Right. <laughs> yeah, Can I say something yeah, yeah, you yeah. said that I think people would be surprised by? So you're saying that the senators don't write the legislation. Like, they don't have even their staff do it. They're having you, who aren't particularly working for a particular senator, right. write legislation that they'll kind of claim later, I guess. Right. Yeah, and it, it, it varies. So this is this is a good point. So it, it kind of, ma it, it depends, right? Sometimes staff would, Senate staff, you know, working for a particular senator or committee would write a piece of, of legislation, like write an amendment or a bill or something and send it up and just kind of, you know, like, hey, you know, Stacey, can you, can you check this? Can you make sure, like, it makes sense and here's what we're trying to do? Or, or can you just, like, like, slap this on the right form and send it out? Sometimes it would be, like, here are some contours of an idea, mm. you know, and, and, you know, can you, can you help me out here? Or, and then sometimes, I mean, especially, like, if something is in a very fast-paced situation, if something, like, is on the Senate floor, it really could be that somebody just, like, calls you up and says, you know, or just verbally tells you, I need, I need something that does X, Y, Z, you know? And so it can, the, the vehicles that come to you or the, or the proposals that come can take different forms. Mm -hmm. It can be something yeah. that's, that's fairly well drafted. It could be something that's not drafted well at all, or it could be something that's like just, just a thought. And, and you, you know, kind of take what you are given and, and kind of figure out what do I need to know in order to make this better in the amount of time that I have to do it. Wow. And, and let me, th that makes sense in, in, sometimes you hear in the news that they kind of, people haven't read the bill, but so the senators kind of know, they've, they have the ideas fleshed out, but that no one's actually written them down or your, your people are kind of working on that. And that's why they kind of seem to have agreed on, on passing the bill, but they right. haven't actually written it or. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, that, that's true. Like, so it could be like, I know the ideas that are, that are here, but I mean, I may not have read read the language necessarily and I and I think with a bill with these huge bills you know huge pieces of legislation I mean it is that covers so many different topic areas I mean you know health care reform I mean that 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 like runs spans the gamut of like so many different substantive areas of law that you know it's it's hard to find anybody who is actually um, you know, expert enough in every single area that that would cover to really be, I, I think, to be able to speak like, you know, cogently about everything running from like tax policy to pharmaceutical policy to, you know, graduate medical school education. I mean, these are these are very different topics and they are all encompassed in like healthcare reform. So, you know, I don't think it's 
my position, I think maybe I've just from where I'm from and my background, like, you know, I'm like, well, you know, yeah, they haven't read the whole bill, you know, and even if they had like what a that's kind of can, they can't really truly get like every part of it because you cannot be an expert in every single thing, you know, right. so you can hope that your staff, the person who does FDA law has read that part and says, yes, that, that makes sense. Or the person who does tax policies, like, yes, that makes sense. But to say that, like, oh, I've got the whole thing down. Right. Yeah. So when senators off. say that, we should be skeptical. Yeah. Okay. It, it just occurs to me that, you know, people always say that you shouldn't watch, I guess, sausage and legislation yes. getting made. Yes. And so what you're talking about is what we're not supposed to watch. Like, yes. that's the awful thing not to even bother yes. looking at. Yeah. All right. wow. and, and you've kind of, I, I think it's affected you. Uh, probably, I'm sure it has. I mean, I, in a lot of ways, I am very sympathetic. I'm, you know, to to uh, those in policy making positions because it's very, very difficult to balance like the competing substantive and procedural demands. And so, in some ways, I am more sympathetic, I think, than the. I, I just kind of you seem you see, like the expression on your face. You oh seem like, yeah, no, like, you no, like I'm definitely like it. affected in that way too. Yeah, yeah I'm like starting to like yeah, I'm starting to like twitch. And I'm glad that nobody can see that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. For that reason, it's an audio stream only. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. So, in broad strokes, yes. and uh, just tell us a little bit about what the ACA did. Well, it, I think when you talk about like, what did the ACA do, it really depends on, but kind of like I was saying, like, well, what part, you know, what are you talking about? Because it did so many things, right. just so many things. And I think that, so you think about the things that get the most airtime or that have generated the most debate, I think in, in uh, the country really is like, what did it do to the health insurance market, right? And, and why is this significant and why are we so upset about it? Or why are some people so upset about it? You know, and so there's there's questions of like, what did it do with respect to access to the healthcare, um, health insurance industry or health insurance markets? Uh, what did it do with respect to trying to lower the cost of healthcare mm-hmm. in the United States? Or what did it do in terms of like trying to get people, you know, into um, have better care, right? right? So there's there's kind of like a lot of big, big questions, right? And there's a lot of other stuff that it did too. But I think that the, the thing that most people like are thinking of when they think about the ACA is, what's with all the health insurance stuff, like the individual mandate and the whatever and all that, you know, like the things that have generated the patsies, patsies, if you will, the premium assurance assistance tax credits. Yes, the patsies, if you will. Um, So what did it do that has generated all of this discussion kind of in um, the country? And I would say that the most most times when people talk about um, the ACA, you know, they're talking about what did it do? Well, I would say that in some ways, with respect to health insurance, it, it made the attempt, or it, some people say successfully not, or maybe they, it did or did not, um, expand access to kind of like more meaningful health insurance coverage. And so you think, well, how was it um, supposed to do that? How was it supposed to sort of foster and maintain a kind of robust, you know, health insurance marketplace? And that's where we kind of get this idea of the three-legged stool. And so if you really boil down like health insurance changes in the ACA, it comes down to this sort of three-legged stool, which has been, that's not my, like, I'm not coining that. That's been out there for a while. And that is, first of all, if our goal is to have a health insurance marketplace that is, doesn't consist just of healthy people, because what good would that do? And then also doesn't consist just of people sick. sick people right because that would just be super expensive and health insurance companies probably wouldn't be so into that um how do we how do we foment like a a, a marketplace that has both like you know mm-hmm. types of um and all types of uh people who are needing different services well 
one way to do that, right, is through what is called guaranteed issues. So that's one leg of the three-legged stool, saying, well, insurance companies can't turn you away based on pre-existing conditions. So this is something they, they are guaranteed to issue you a policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but let's just think, if we only had guaranteed issue, if we only had this requirement that insurance companies have to, you know, kind of uh, issue you a policy, you know, without regard to pre-existing conditions, then hey, guess what? We would just have an insurance pool, basically, of people who needed something, right? And and because then you would know, well, I can just walk up and get insurance when I need it, right? So you, could, you could wait till you get sick and exactly. then buy insurance. That's exactly right. And so, and, um, so enter then the second leg, which is the individual mandate, because it's like, well, how do we get people who aren't currently in need of services, right, to enter into the health insurance pool? And so the individual mandate was there in order to sort of foster this, like, well, we need people who don't really need a whole lot of health insurance right now to actually be there to offset the people who do. Then the third part of it is this idea of, like, if we're going to require people to, to get insurance, right? And the, really we're talking about, you know, you, you, you could you, some, most people have it through their employer, right? Some people have it through um, public programs. But if you just have to go and buy it from a health insurance company, in the individual market, which is what you know this would apply to, then we're going to give you a, the government will give you a subsidy to help you do that, and that's where the premium assisted tax credits come from. So it's a way of getting a subsidy from the government based on your income level between 100 to 400 percent of the federal poverty level, um, help get you help um, provide you a subsidy in order to go pay the premium for. Your new health insurance. So, so the Sorry. third leg is money from the government to help you buy the insurance. Yes. Now that we require you to do it, right, then we're gonna help you're you going to so. help you do it based right. on your in- the sliding scale like income So level. that gives you a stool that you can kind of sit on. Yeah, you know, that's, right. a, that's the strong, that's a, that's right. a leg you, that's the end you want to sit down on. Right, because you know. everybody identifies with the three-legged yeah. stool <laughs> analogy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Right. So, so good. So, so that's essentially broad strokes. Uh, and and that, is, that, is like, that is like super broad strokes on one aspect of the ACA. Right. Yes. And so why are people so mad about it? Yeah, yeah they are. I don't, um, this is, I mean, I feel like this is like a philosophical debate. Like, I, you know, there is this, I guess, concept of people, you know, don't like being told necessarily like you have to do something, especially something as like costly and personal, maybe as Health insurance is sure, like the, the government telling you the to do stuff. The government telling is you just, to do a principle that that we should have that as little as possible. Yeah, right. exactly. So I mean, I think that there there is like that just sort of, you know, underlying or even just you know actually on the surface idea of like you know this is not the place. This is not the role of, of government. the government. Certainly not the role of the federal government. You know, to tell me that I need to do something that is you know as impactful on my life as mm-hmm. go get health insurance and pay for it. I mean that's right. that's it. And it might be expensive. Was it I don't I don't remember how this cashed out, but did it cost money or did it kind of save money or how does that work? Oh, the the, the bill itself? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that depends on who you ask, okay. right? Well, yeah. well, let's try you. Yeah. And I'll ask Mikhail. <laughs> I mean, I'm no right. I'm no economist and if I could even begin to understand like, you know, the way that the budgetary projections are done, that would be I I would I would I, I would yeah. go. Okay. So it's not clear. I, but that so that, I think that's one of the but arguments. No, I mean, the idea is like, actually, this would save money and drive the, the idea behind it is like this would save money and actually drive down costs in the long haul because more people have health insurance. Okay. Thus, we're not right, treating them. At we're the not most treating them at the most expensive time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're actually trying to. And, and then other other changes that we, t- we can talk about. Right. Would incentivize people and, and help people go and get. Um, medical services before they're sick, right. right? And so this is this is the, this is a sort of trajectory of just like big picture trying to bring down the cost of healthcare um, in the U.S. And, and and reduce our healthcare expenditures. So I mean I think that yes this this was projected to save money um, or at least like you know 
reduce like the deficit over the long Thanks. over the long term. Okay, so I think I've heard uh, mm -hmm. things have changed. Yes. In the, the latest tax bill, perhaps, yes. or maybe before that. Right. And so, so what's what's happened? So, um, the the latest tax bill did eliminate, effectively eliminate the individual mandate. So okay, one of the legs of the, of the stool. One of the legs of the this stool. This is where the stool could come this, in handy. The stool, okay. yes, this is, yes. The stool analogy. Yes. So one of the stool legs metaphor. of the three-legged stool has has, has is gone, Got and it. so. Um, there's a lot of talk now about like well, what does that mean? You know, like what is stool, that going to do? Does the stool fall when it has two I mean, legs? Or I, I so think this is actually wobbly. really wobbly. Actually, for the librarians yeah, listening, I was thinking we could go to the librarians. Yeah, yeah for the librarians, I don't know if you've been following this, but there is somebody is sitting on stools and breaking them, mm. and the in, entire in the library. Yes, I have I mean, not been following. Where do I follow that? People are mad. As legs? hell. They're yeah. mad huh. down there because people are breaking these stools and we can't figure it out. And we've gotten, as a student body, hmm. at least two emails about it. Wow. So I think that's what happens. Yeah. And you think it's related to the tax bill? I think it's because yeah. of the, the repeal of the be. individual mandate. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, Professor Heller, you might start there. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, that's an inside joke yeah. with the student body. Yeah. So hopefully we have some students listening. Otherwise... Yeah. You're going to be very confused by that <laughs> anecdote. Go on. Okay, so the individual oh, mandate. So there is discussion. Like, what, is, what does this mean? Like, what, what impact is this going to have right. if there is no longer, um, you know, an individual mandate? Uh, what well, are your thoughts? Go ahead. Let's let loose. You. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're choosing your words carefully. I want you to let loose. Well, actually, I was just thinking how, as a drafter, like that, I just, just have to say that the individual mandate is technically still in the law. It's just the penalty for it is zero. Um, so what they did is as opposed to as two hundred and fifty dollars or what was it? It was more like it was more. It was at least it went up each year. It might yeah, have it was started out with around seven hundred. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it did get it, it increased like so it wasn't like nothing nominal, right? Yeah, and uh, certainly a you know decent penalty for 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 people. I mean I don't really want to pay. No. And, and not that much more than I guess it would cost if you got subsidized. Well, and that and that's, that's the, the yeah. So that was the theory behind it. So. I mean, I, I'm a little bit more, I think, doomsday about, like, the impact of, of the elimination of the individual mandate than, than others. Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, the question being is, well, what will, will, people, will people who don't need health care services right away, you know, go to buy health insurance anyway? And, I mean, I just kind of put myself in the mind of somebody who was like, well, no, I don't have to do it. And I like, no, like, you know, not. Especially that <laughs> like, you're saying that healthy people that the mandate is designed to push to do this are probably the least likely exactly, to now. Yeah, I mean, they may not, they may not join, they may not So that'll hurt the market. It. So that hurts the market, right? So this is, this is sort of one thing, right, that could, that could draw healthy people away from the market, mm -hmm. But it'll, right? be, it'll be gradual, It I guess. could be, yeah. I mean, it could be. So, so for example, like the, the elimination of the penalty doesn't actually start until 2019. So this, you know, we may not see like too much of a difference this year. And in fact, like um, the numbers of people who signed up for um, health insurance through the in, the individual market is it's it's, it's like actually very for high, 2018 right? it's actually not that much different than okay. any other year. Despite Probably the fact that more. we have narrowed the window for enrollment, right? And, and well, yeah, we can talk about that too, right? So I think the real question is we won't fully see the impact of this for another year or two. But I think that the the major point though to be made is that insurance companies then know mm -hmm. right that this change is afoot, and so they have to plan, right? They have to sort of project like what, how they should set their premiums. And so really it's, if there's uncertainty about like, well, gosh, how many people, um, how many, you know, people with less risk, right, are going to be, if there's going to, less of those people are going to be joining the pool, then I'm going to set my premiums higher. So this is something that, you know, the impact of the, of the elimination of the individual mandate is like, will this raise premiums 
will this actually cause like some insurance companies just to re pull out of a state like individual market altogether be mm -hmm. like you know this isn't really worth it for us like we're out of here um so that's one thing that i think is is incredibly I mean, incredibly important. And yes, there are still reasons why people would sign up for health insurance, even without the mandate. And one of the reason is one of the other pieces of the stool is the subsidy, right? Uh, it's like, well, right. look, you know, I am getting um, a subsidy if I meet the income, you know, if I'm within the income window. Um, I, I'm, I'm, it's a good thing to do, right? And if sure. I can afford it, then I'm going to go do it. And if, if the subsidy helps me afford it, then I'm like to do it. So it depends on, in some ways, the power of the subsidies to sort of, you know, Compensate. catalyze people to go buy on the individual market, even without the mandate itself. And mm -hmm. I think that that's something that no one can, you know, will see. I know that the projections are that this will, in fact, you know, decrease the number of people entering the market. And in f that will have, there is projections that that will then raise premiums. And you mentioned a couple other things like, you know, that have happened um, regarding like, well, you know, what else might cause or, or just sort of contribute to less people entering mm -hmm. the marketplace um, would be, um, shortening the window of of sign up time, so every year there's a you know an open season basically to sign up, and and this last open season was was shorter, like by substantially shorter than the past ones, and that that's a decision by um, the Trump administration right. to shorten that time because period. you can't just go out and buy insurance. You can when just you do feel it like it, whenever right? unless when you it, have some. Life there's got to have to be some right. like thing that right. happens. Either that you're in the it. window or you have some event that qualifies you exactly. to buy it outside of that window. Okay. Right. And so then also um, there's been a lot of funding cuts for publicizing, uh, you know, signing up, how to sign up. There are positions called, you know, navigators. Basically the people who help others navigate the system to sign up for health insurance, like the, the funding for those types of positions at the state level has been just kind Cut. of decimated. So, you know, there are other, there are multiple things here. The individual mandate elimination, I think, being the obviously the the kind of most significant um, to sort of kind of chip away at having people sign up for um, insurance in the individual market, and that could have some consequences. And I think I think will have consequences. Yeah. yeah. Are we right. going to do anything? Are we just going to sort of like see what happens? Right. And for those who don't have health insurance. We'll let our hospital systems swallow those costs and right. continue to drive the cost of healthcare well, up. Well, like, I, I think that this definitely is a time where, well, first of all, this time last year, you know, I mean, it was all hair on fire, repeal and replace. You know, there was so much discussion about this happening this right. time last year. Right. This in, now, fast forward here, we're like, you know, like the yeah, the individual mandate's gone, but there, that wasn't even you know like kind of front and center. Um, in some ways, with all of the other news and the tax cuts and everything else that's happening. Um, so there's certainly a deflated sense of urgency, it seems mm. like, at the federal level, just with regard to health policy kind of in general. Hmm. And so I think that in some ways, what we might see is a shift more to state-level conversations about, like, what to do. Because states could states could have their own individual mandate. I mean, you know, that's that's that can happen. Hmm. Um, you know, it might be that these changes at the federal level will just sort of put eyes back on state legislatures to sort of say, okay, how can we um, support our health insurance market, right? And and expansion of Medicaid is also right. some a conversation that happened that's happening. Um, and states know, can still here, do that. Absolutely. Here in Virginia, it, it's possible that they would um, expand it now. It, it, there's, it's not like there's a time right. limit on that, and which we didn't really essentially is the federal government saying here are extra funds to match your state Medicaid yeah. funds. Yeah. So, so another part of in, of the ACA was that was important to increasing um, health insurance uh, access was 
you know, everything I talked about before, the three-legged stool, all that, that's in the private market. That's to, that's to expand health insurance access through private mechanisms, whereas you also, on the other hand, had the expansion of, of Medicaid um, proposals where the federal government said, look, you expand Medicaid, we will, you know, what's norm you know we have a normal match rate for, for those out there who are wondering, Medicaid is a shared federal state, like funded, funded um, program for uh, those in lower socioeconomic uh, status and those who meet certain eligibility, like kind of categorical eligibility criteria. Um, anyway, so it, normally, right, Medicaid is there's a matching grant from the federal government to the states, but the deal under ACA was, well, state, if you expand Medicaid up to a higher income threshold, right, kind of flat, basically 130, 138% uh, of the federal poverty level, level, the federal government will like will increase the amount of money they will give. It won't just be 50-50. It'll actually be 100% for a little while and then down to 90%. So like a big chunk dramatic, of dramatic difference. So as we, as we all know, some states have expanded, some states have not. So I think that's another conversation that we might see um, happening in states that have not expanded. Like in some ways the calculus may have changed um, you know, over time and, and states that haven't to this point expanded may choose to. Obviously, there are all sorts of changes mm -hmm. afoot. Mm -hmm. um, what's like something that's on your mind personally? Well, I think everybody should have their eye on the opioid epidemic. Okay. Um, okay. I think that's kind of a big, it's like the public health crisis yeah, of so, our so, time. So if I want to worry about something health related, is that the thing to worry about? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, mm. I really do. I mean, mm. I think that this is, I think that like, this is a really devastating, um, like, you know, this is this is a this is an epidemic of epic proportions happening, and and it it doesn't seem like it's getting the. There's not a lot of breaks I think being put on, and so I think we really have to ask like, what are we doing really as as a society to sort of help uh, stem this tide? Yeah. And I think that like something this big takes some pretty drastic measures, and I don't see them happening. Uh, what, what kind of things? So so drug treatment being covered, or what, yeah, what are we I mean drug treatment being covered. I think that like basically uh, changes within the medical profession itself are, of I think are really important. And I think these are things that are really hard because these are more like these are these are I don't want to say behavioral changes within a profession, but I think in some ways that's it. I mean, you're I talking think, about overprescription. Of, yeah, uh, I think you have to. I think in this way you have to have uh, multiple disciplines that are really kind of. Unified I, that are there. unified and are really self-reflective um, of like what is our role in, you know, helping stem this and and what changes do we need to make as I mean as pharmaceutical companies as doctors as uh, prosecutors as the, I mean I mean I think it really spans um, like a a wide wide swath of of professions and sort of pieces of society so I think that that's important and the other thing that I would say that I've like looking that I want to learn more about and I'm looking into is that last week there was an announcement um, by the Trump administration that they've created an Office of Conscience, Conscience and Religious Freedom Division of the Office of Civil Rights within Health and Human Services. They need, they need an, an acronym for that. Uh, yeah, the, uh, they, they need to work on that because that's not going to roll off the tongue. Um, so I think that this there was a reorganization of the Office of Civil Rights of Health and Human Services to sort of consolidate um, into into the Office of Civil Rights this division that's going to be focusing on um, enforcement of uh, 
provisions that protect the religious freedom or and moral freedom of healthcare providers. And I think that that's something that we may hear, that we will continue to hear a lot about. I mean, I think that in a way that, that we haven't seen before, there is this, like, I think that, that made clear even on the Office of Civil Rights, like, website, that, like, this is now, this is not really kind of a, a, a fringe issue, that, like, this is becoming, like, kind of part Central. of the identity mm. of the Office of Civil Rights is to um, protect the religious freedom and moral choices of healthcare providers. So is that like examples like not having to uh, give out a prescription for birth control or what? what right, what or, or, or um, refusal to perform abortion. Uh, yes, like refusal to, you know, you, you can't discriminate against, you know, uh, employer, uh, I mean, providers that, you know, wouldn't want to participate in abortion services. And I mean, that what, how does that defined? You know, I think that's a question of how is abortion service defined? Mm. Um, or um, even, in, you know, even outside of abortion, there's also a lot about, you know, advanced directives. Like, what if hmm. I don't, what if I don't want to counsel my patients death on, it is, it is, it is the, it is the, it is the death panel issue, right? And so, um, so it's not just within, you know, kind of what we think of as reproductive rights, but it also could be about end of life issues as well. Gosh, I, this is just the best. Thank yeah. you so much for yeah. joining us. Yeah, today. I, f- I yeah. feel like I could keep going, and I'm sorry that I know. could keep going yeah, too. But, I could know, keep going. I'm getting a wrap up look yeah, from Wit. Yeah, we're, right. Wit's yeah. like shut this down. Wit's yeah. like shut <laughs> it down. <laughs> Wit's our producer, our executive producer. Thank you, Wit. Um, but mostly, thank you. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Stacey. I, I feel much smarter. <laughs> I feel smarter. I feel worried. Yeah, I feel worried. Yeah, like a darkness to my smarts. There's a darkness yeah. to it, I'm sorry. I really feel like that happens a lot. I feel like yeah. that way in class sometimes. I'm like, and the news is... Yeah, if you could throw in like a little of those like good news healthcare stuff, like maybe well, a cure know, here there, or there. There is some good news. Yeah. I don't right. really... I, yeah, we just won't well, get to be it the today. Next, that'll be that'll the next, be the next podcast. Yeah, I'll make, it, I'll make it brighter next time. <laughs> you, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's our podcast with uh, Stacey kern Cheer, Professor kern Cheer. which, again, uh, you know, every time I speak to her, I feel like I'm 10% smarter than I was before. Absolutely. She just knows a ton about everything. A ton about everything. I'm not worthy. And, you know, we should say, Professor kern Cheer is probably the most overworked professor <laughs> at, this, at this law school. Am I right, Professor Bell? You can tell that she, anything she does, she does it. 100%. So she came right. to this podcast that, you know, we were just hoping people would even show up, show up. Right. She came to the podcast ready as if it were like the New York Times editorial board yeah. was going to ask her some questions. Yeah. And someday that may be the case. Right. So they you should. Know, I they mean, should. They, frankly, they should talk to frankly, her. Frankly, they're lucky. No, <laughs> but I, it, she's just, she's, she's unbelievable. She's doing, you know, she does every fundraiser. She does every like fun public service auction. Yeah. And she does it all well. And she does it all well. Yeah. So we're really grateful for her. We're grateful that you listened, and we hope you'll come back next week and hear us again.